Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here on a Friday as we continue to roll through the 2001 season and look back on one of the more memorable campaigns in Bucks franchise history. And uh, really, as we wrap this up, there's no better person to have than the guest we have today. He is one of the all-time greats in coaching basketball. He's done it in the NBA. He's done it overseas. And perhaps more importantly for this podcast, did it with the Milwaukee Bucks from 1998-99 through to the end of the 2002-2003 season. George Carl, this is this is a thrill for me. Thanks for taking the time. Well, Kane, I I, I got to ask you, how does an Australian guy get a podcast in Milwaukee? That's that's a pretty good question. Uh, I at the start of the 2018-19 season, I I moved over and uh, wanted to to cover the NBA and and Milwaukee at the time. I had Matthew Dolivet over and Thon Maker. So they had a couple of Australians. It made some sense for me to go there. Unfortunately, they were both traded within the first two months of me moving to Milwaukee. But hey, they got a pretty good player uh, leading that team. So I've stuck around. And uh, now I've got this daily podcast. Yeah, he's my favorite player in the NBA. Giannis is a... It's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what he becomes because he has, still has a lot of room to improve and... And, you know, he's gotten the, the championship attitude already. His work ethic is unbelievable. And he's, his skills and size and speed, it's, it's, a, it's a fun guy to watch play basketball. So let me ask you this. I've already got sidetracked. Let me ask you this. Giannis says himself at the start of this season, he's already won an MVP. He says he's 60 to 70% of what he can be. When you watch him, you speak about the development he has. And we saw the three-point shot come into his game this season. How much better can he get? Well, you know, physically, I think he's probably got a year or two of maturing and getting strength and, you know, understanding speed and quickness. And what I've always thought, and as players get older, the game slows down for them and their mind gets more a part of their personality instead of doing everything athletically and with, with, with the skills and, you know, or size and speed that you have. They just figured a game can be played with a, maybe a, 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 a little slower pace because uh, they, know, they know a little bit more than everybody else on the court and they got more talent than everybody else on the court. So I, as I mentioned from the top, we're going to dive into this 2001 season. But the one thing I want to ask you first, Truth and Basketball, this is the podcast that uh, you guys have started yourself, obviously, star of the show, and Brett Goldberg I've been working with and, and a couple of other guys there. You're about seven or eight episodes in now. And for anyone that hasn't listened to this podcast, I've spent the last week going back and listening through these episodes. Uh, you get unbelievable insight from, from George into some of the, the biggest moments through his career. One of the episodes already was about the Seattle Supersonics team that went to the NBA Finals, another one was your relationship with Kamalo Anthony. Uh, I'm just curious from your point of view, what, 
what made you or, or piqued your interest in, in diving into something like this now? Because we know you've, you've had the book that was a, a great success a couple of years ago now, but this is a, a different level of access. And, and how are you finding it? Are you enjoying this? Well, I really find uh, uh, radio talk shows and being on the radio for 10 or 12 minutes segment. You know, you're, you're just answering questions and you're not really elaborating on your, maybe your thoughts and your philosophies. And, you know, right now, talk radio is a, of the moment. It's, it doesn't go back and study history or study coaching or critiquing a, a game. Or So uh, these guys came to me and said, you know, they'd do all the work and all I had to do was talk. And I said, it might work, it might not work, but I have found that, that I like it. You know, the, the title of the thing, Truths in Basketball, is I really think there's a lot of, for a better phrase, a lot of BS in, in the game of basketball, a lot of spin. Uh, no one tells the truth anymore. Everybody's just got to protect and, uh, and evade and, 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 and perception. And, and I like to talk the game. I love to talk the game. I love to talk coaches about what works and what doesn't work. And I think this, this forum allows me to elaborate to maybe extend and philosophize a little bit more about some moments in my life that are really important and a lot of fun and why I, why I was successful a little bit and also why I failed a little bit. I think I've been very candid on some games. That, like uh, we did a, did a podcast on the Denver series when I got beat in Seattle by the Denver Nuggets and lost in the first round in a game five. And I went back and looked at the game, and I was, I was awful. I, I, I didn't get my players to play very well. I didn't manage the game very well. I thought Dan Issel, by the, by the fourth quarter of that game, he had total control of his team, and I was still searching for my team. Yeah, so this is and this is one of the things that I found so interesting about about the podcast is as you mentioned you can go into things uh, a little bit deeper now and look back and and maybe look at things differently than you were even capable of doing uh at the time and this 2001 Bucks team it's incredible to me and a lot of this is the fact that the Bucks haven't had a lot of success uh you know prior to last season after that 2001 year but it's still a, a season that you know from my time being in Milwaukee people always talk about that series that they that season they remember back on that year both fondly and and also what happened after perhaps not so fondly but I, I want to go right to the start I mean this was a, a team coming into 2001 a lot of talent particularly at the top end with Ray Glenn and Sam and you start three and nine and and some of these losses were not close I mean it, it was uh, while early in the season, it was a, a very shaky start. And I don't know what you remember back from, from that specific time, but, but what changed with this team and, and how were you guys able to flip the switch? Because uh, once you did, uh, you became one of the better teams in the league. Well, I, I think the thing that I recall was I really challenged Sam, Glenn, and Ray to be better defensively. They're all very gifted offensive players. And because of that, I thought there was a lot of ego on the offensive end of the court and not enough demand and not, not enough detail at the defensive end of the court. And in a funny way, you know, you know everybody said I, you know, I, I took them on really hard. But, you know, Sam and I always had a good relationship from a coach point guard standpoint. Glenn Robinson was kind of a quiet guy to himself. 
And Ray was a guy that I thought wanted to be a star and, and could and could be a superstar in our league. And so I thought challenging them and demanding a commitment to try to be better defensively was probably the one thing I recall. Um, you know, I, I think we went, I remember going down in game, you were a three and nine and we played in Orlando. And we won in Orlando and then we went over to Miami. And I think we were down 18 or 19 points in the fourth quarter to Miami. And Lindsey Hunter went off, went off and had like five threes in the fourth quarter. And we came back and stole a game against a very good Miami team. And that kind of broke the ice of, we, we can be a good basketball team, let's make the commitment. And I think we move forward from there. Sports have come to a screeching halt with basketball benched and pitches off the bound, but our friends at MyBookie aren't going to let you down. Stay sane and stay entertained with access to your favorite games like Blackjack, Roulette, Slots, War, and more. It doesn't matter whether you're on the front lines or quarantined at home. The fun doesn't have to come to an end with MyBookie. They've got you covered with a host of live casino dealers online. That's right. They have professional dealers at their tables live on site 24-7. You can trust the industry leaders in times like these. They're reliable, upright, and best of all, they pay fast when you win. Visit mybookie.ag and use promo code LOCKEDONNBA for a 150% bonus on your first casino deposit. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA to receive a 150% cash bonus on your first deposit and you can claim those extra funds all the way up to 750 bucks. Use promo code LOCKEDONNBA to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA. You spin, you win, you get paid. I want to get back to the defense a little bit later because that that's something that's always interested me. Your your teams were always uh, great defensively. Certainly, you came from Seattle, a team that was uh, unbelievable defensively. And when I think back to that NBA final series, it was a defensive uh, series. But as you guys move through the season, you end up fifty two and thirty. You get to the playoffs, and, and I'm fast forwarding a lot here. But that Charlotte series for me, everyone always thinks about the Philadelphia series. But as I've gone back and watched, the Charlotte series was incredible. And you guys find yourself down 3-2, down 15 on the road, and you're banged up. And there's two things I want to ask you about. First of all, what is your memories of, of that game six and being able to, to get through that series uh, when you, your backs were really up against the wall? And secondly, uh, how much was Sam Cassell struggling with those ribs? Because I, I remember watching the broadcast and by game seven, he w- it was almost like he was wearing, it looked like a, like a bulletproof vest under his jersey. Uh, he looked like he was in a lot of pain. He was able to pull out 33 points in that game six, and you guys survived. Well, I totally agree that the Charlotte series in my in my career is in the top three of great series. I thought both I thought both teams played at a high level, and as I as you said, coming back from down three one and then winning a very close tough game in Milwaukee in game seven, uh, I thought we grew up in this series a lot. Uh, and Sam, Sam in a very quiet way is a hell of a competitor. You know, Sam wants to talk trash and laugh a lot. He doesn't like to practice a lot. But when the game starts, the man really cares about winning. And he's a better point guard than people give him credit for. You know, he never had a lot of assists because he's more of a scoring point guard. But he understood the game. He understood game planning. 
and he understood his talents that he had on the court, and he tried to be a good leader of all of that. So Sam was always fun. I think of all the point guards I've had, and I've had a lot of good ones, Sam Cassell is kind of an underrated, pretty damn good basketball player that doesn't get the love he should get. Should get. Uh, so the so the Philadelphia series, uh, we know how that ended. It's it's interesting to me that even now, when you look back, it's almost the storylines outside of what was directly happening happening uh you know and putting the ball in the bucket and uh, i'm referring to the officiating as I'm, I'm sure you would imagine i've i've seen you talk about this even uh years and years after this is still something that um is probably tough to think about uh when you go through watching the games one through seven even the announcers and it was mike breen bill walton were on the call through this one it was a constant storyline and you guys were obviously very frustrated. Yourself and Ray Allen in particular were very outspoken. When you think back to that, it was clear that this is what you believe, that something was, something was not quite right. But was this a distraction, a motivation, or was it too much in, in your guys' mind when, when you look back at it now? Because it, it's, it's incredible to me to think in this series, you, you guys are a couple of games away from the finals, and it was the officiating that was, that was the main focus. Well, you know, as a coach, you don't want to ever make the officiating any part of the game plan. But, you know, as the series got longer and longer, I mean, the numbers and the statistics of it showed that, you know, we weren't getting a very fair whistle. Or I don't know about fair whistle, but we weren't getting a very equal whistle uh, from the free throw line and from fouls and from technicals and a lot of other things like that. But never as a coach do you ever want to bring officiating into a game plan. You're always game planning on how, how your team and is your team going to be ready for anything that you're going to meet up with in the game you're playing. Um, the one that hurt, I thought, in all, though, was, wasn't even an official's call. It was Scotty, Scott, Scott Williams yeah. being suspended on an upgrade of a, a technical foul. I mean, a, a regular foul in, a, in game six, and they upgraded it to a flagrant, and it made him ineligible for game seven. And I just thought that was, that was the one that kind of broke our confidence a little bit. Even though Scott didn't have a lot of great numbers, Scott Williams was really important to that basketball team from the very beginning. So that's, I, I wanted to ask you about that because reading back some of the, the stories from that series, and, and you mentioned that he was important to the team. And in game six, it, it's kind of remarkable that that foul at the time, the foul came uh, very early in game six. He ended up having 10 points in that first quarter. and was a, was a huge factor in the game. And he was your starting four. I mean, you lost a starter for game seven, but you guys found out, uh, as I recall, as you were boarding the flights to fly to Philadelphia for game seven, and uh, you, as, as you would expect, uh, said that oh, this isn't going to be a distraction. I think we'll be fine, which obviously is probably what you want to say uh, before you're heading into a game seven. But do you remember the, the team's, uh, I guess, morale? You said that it hurt the confidence a little bit, maybe on that flight or pregame, uh, losing, uh, as you said, not only a starter, but a, an important guy in the locker room for that do or die game. You know, I really felt... Um... I, th I thought, you know, the combination of Scott being suspended and then I chose to start Darvin Ham instead of Tim Thomas. And I really think back on it, I think that was a mistake now. I wish I would have started Tim and tried to be more offensive-oriented because, I, you know, I thought Darvin would give us some energy, give us some hustles, give us the things he always does for us. 
But in the end, the, the talent level, Darwin wasn't probably skilled enough to play in that game as much as I played him. And uh, I, I, wish, I wish I had it over. I would, I would start Tim. And I think the thing that hurt us most in game seven was the combination of all this, whatever you want to call it, distraction or negative energy. And then Ray Allen sprains his ankle early yeah. in the game. That kind of just busted our balloon. It's kind of, we just didn't feel like we, we can overcome it enough, another thing. And I think the, all those combinations kind of made it a very, I thought, a very disheartening game seven. So this is, I, I want to throw a completely, and it might be a ridiculous hypothetical at you, but this is something I've always, always considered. Uh, you think about Scott Williams missing that game, and, and you already mentioned, you know, Ray Allen goes down with the ankle, and there's, there's plenty of scenarios where things could have been different. But if you guys somehow found a way, Scott Williams isn't suspended, you win game seven, you go to the NBA finals, I've read your thoughts on, on what could have possibly happened in the Lakers. We know you guys were 2-0 and over them during the regular season and things change. Is there any way in your mind that you see that if, if things went differently there, that you wouldn't have gone down the path of trying <coughs> to, to, to sign Anthony Mason? And I'm just curious whether that was something you always felt even during the regular season, you needed an upgrade at the four or five, particularly offensively, or if you had have got over the hump, maybe things might've been different. Well, you know, we can get in the Anthony Mason scenario later because I think that was a big mistake. And that was the mistake that ended the role and rhythm that we had going. Um, and I, you know, I, I can't deny it. I was a fan of Anthony Mason's. I thought he would make us a better player. I thought he would slot Scott Scott Williams into being, you know, you know, being a bench player, and it, it worked out really well. Uh, but I, I think, you know, being a, a jump shot away from making the finals with that crew. Uh, looking back on it, you know, we we didn't look at ourselves as a really talented talented team, but we came together as a team and played well the last couple months of the season at both ends of the court. We were sound defensively and we were, we were really good offensively. So, you know, I think we might, what we did is we brought Anthony Mason, a defensive player, hoping to make us a better defensive team. And what happened is he disrupted us more so probably at the offensive end of the court. So you've, you've been on, on the record a lot about that situation with Anthony Mason. And then we know uh, that how things panned out in terms of the, the big three eventually separating. But during that 2001 season, I've heard you talk a lot about the importance of communication and, and connection with players, coaches, front office. Between those three, you already touched on the, the start uh, between Glenn and Sam and, and Ray. But what was your coach-player relationship with those guys through the 2001 season? Did, did things really go off the rails after that year, or was there, um, I guess, it, it, was it not the ideal situation even through 2001 from your point of view as a coach trying to, trying to bring this team together? No, I thought, you know, I, I don't think Sam and Glenn and Ray liked me going after them, but I think they respected what I said, and I thought they responded to what I said. Uh, I think when it went the wrong way is Anthony Mason, I thought, divided me with them, with the big three. Sam and I always had a good relationship and still do. Glenn, 
Glenn's the quiet one, so he didn't, you didn't really know how he felt. And I think Ray was the guy that thought I ruined the team by bringing Ray Allen in, I mean, by bringing Anthony Mason in. And I think that, that relationship did deteriorate. And, you know, I think it was kind of the beginning of players wanting to have relationships with owners. And Ray and, and Senator Cole and Senator Cole and Ray's mom they always had a really good relationship. And I just felt there was pressure there to, to divide us in different ways that because of it, it became more of a distraction other than Anthony Mason was the wrong guy for our team. Instead of working to make it work, I think we had things surrounding us that multiplied it not working, making it worse. Were you ever able during that uh, that stretch after so the the 2001-2002 season? Were you ever able to to talk through that situation with Ray, or was it a situation where he you weren't able to confront each other? He wouldn't talk to you about his problems. He would go elsewhere, and there just wasn't that that uh, able to that ability to connect. Uh, well, I, as my my recollection is that the year that we played Philly, there we Ray and I had a good relationship. And I think it, 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 it got in trouble the next year. And then the third year with Anthony, I mean, the second year with Anthony, the third, second year after this is where it got into, you know, why are we doing this? I can't play with him. And the threats became more aware that, you know, we were deteriorating as a team more than improving as a team. So the other thing that I took from your podcast, The Truth in Basketball, was the Who's the Boss episode. And, and you spoke about relationships you've had with, with owners, with front officers over the course of your career. And you mentioned Herb Cole as one of the guys that you had a great relationship with. When you think about him and obviously only Grunfield, what was the communication between you three guys through all this? Obviously, Herb's in a different situation. He wants basketball to be good in Milwaukee. He's also got the financial pressures of being in a small market. Uh, you're wanting to win games as a coach. Uh, what's your recollection of what was going on uh, during that period with, with you three? Senator Cole and I have always been really nice to one another. Uh, you know, the next year was just that year. We didn't make the playoffs. I think we finished 41 and 41. Uh, I remember we had a game to make the playoffs at the end of the season. I think it was in Detroit, and we got blown out. And I, I just remember saying to Senator Cole that I'm, I'm sorry that, you know, we, we're a jump shot away from going to the NBA final, and it deteriorates in one year. You know, it did, I mean, Senator Cole waited a long time to get that opportunity to be maybe a top-notch team, and it was gone. And, you know, and, and, you know, whoever you want to blame for it being gone, it was gone. And so after the year, we don't make the playoffs. You know, we're hoping to turn it around. We're hoping to fix it. But it never got fixed. You know, in the end, I think, I don't know if it was Ernie or Senator Cole that just felt that we had to change. Um, and if that's the way, you know, that's the way the NBA works. You know, if you're – you're a jump shot away from the NBA Finals, and then you're out of the playoffs the next year. Someone's got to be held accountable. So the first real domino to fall after that Glenn Robinson was traded 
uh, to Atlanta, and then and then really from from that point on, uh, we know what happened after there. I mean, what's your, what's your recollections of trying to figure that out? As you said, I mean, this was an unfortunate situation that went um, from a long playoff run to to sort of turn it into a, a bit of a disaster. I mean, how were you trying to work through this and, and was it fixable? And were you guys in some sort of disagreements or in terms of what was the right move to make uh, leading up to, to some of these moves? And you can go right back to before the Anthony Mason uh, trade, if you like. You know, I don't really remember the trade. Uh, all I can tell you is, is Ernie and I had a good relationship. We always worked together. We never worked against each other. In any trade we made, you know, there, there's always somewhat of a, you know, a disagreement or an argument going once in a while. But to be honest with you, I think we were just trying to win. You know, after you get to the finals and then you hit bottom, you know, you're, I mean, my, my first three years in, in Milwaukee were fantastic. And, uh, and, then, and then we have to play, and, you know, almost go to the finals. And then the last two were in chaos. And uh, when that happens, it's usually because you're losing. And the other thing is someone's got to be blamed. Big move. And I guess, you know, and I want to get to this after with you. I mean, I think there's two things that uh, Bucks fans remember your time in Milwaukee from. It's clearly the, the long run to the playoffs. And then it is the Ray Allen trade. And, and Gary Payton comes to Milwaukee. He was a guy that you had great success with. You know him really well. You know what he's all about. You know what he's like in the locker room. Uh, it, I mean, it was six or seven years after that, that NBA finals in uh, Seattle against, against the Bulls. So uh, when you bring him in, I mean, you already spoke about the defense. You, you, you're talking about a guy that is a, a tenacious uh, locker room guy. He's a, he's a leader. He's a vocal leader. What did you think that he could bring to, to the Bucks? And was this a, a matter of you wanted someone that, that you knew well and, and you understood where the situation was with Ray Allen? Or was it just that the, the situation was untenable in Milwaukee with the relationship with you and Ray and, and it was just time to move on? I think it's the latter than the first. I think, I think basically Ernie and Senator and I agreed that Ray is never going to be happy here. And Ray is not, never going to figure this out with me and Anthony as his partners. And so do you dissolve the whole team? Do you fire the coach? Or do you try to fix it by making a trade? That, you know, Desmond Mason and Gary Payton are good players. They're both 30-minute players. And I'm not saying that Gary was better than Ray. I'm just saying they're both really good basketball players. But they're different players. You know, Gary's a, more of a point guard that is a defensive, feisty guy that's going to be angry and going to play competitively. And I think, our, I think that team kind of needed that guy. You know, Sam, Glenn, and Ray aren't the most feistiest guys in the world. They beat you because they can score. And Gary beats you because he wants to beat you. Yeah, it's interesting that, that you bring that up. I, I know, and I'm sure you're, you're aware of this, uh, that Ray over the years has gone on the record to say that he thinks that he wasn't confrontational enough and, and maybe that was something that, that bothered you. I mean, was, was that something with, with Ray that, that did kind of, uh, bother you that you couldn't get that reaction out of him and he wasn't someone uh, like some of the other players, like Gary Payton that, you, that you've coached in the, in the past. And, and that was some sort of contributor to, to where it started to fall out, particularly when things went wrong, because it, as you sort of mentioned, it sounds like there wasn't much communication there. Well, I mean, the whole, the whole thing is it was a tough situation. Um, you know, and 
my, it might have been my leadership of being confrontational to a fault. Uh, Anthony Mason was a guy that, that was confrontational to his, to his teammates and to me. And so there was maybe too much confrontation yeah. that create, created a lot of negative energy that is hard to deal with. And I would have to say Ray would prefer not that to be in his locker room. But, um, I mean, I think we all probably made mistakes. I mean, we probably, you know, talked to, and said the wrong things. And it got to be a point where I think Ernie and Senator Cole probably looked at it and said, this is not going to work. We got to change it. If we, if we want to be good, we got to change it. So really last one, Andre. I, I know I've been peppering you with questions here. Uh, you recently, I mean, this was a couple of years ago now. I mean, you said you haven't really spoke, but you said that, I mean, I'd, I'd go for a hit of golf with him. I'm totally fine. I don't hold anything personal against him. Have you guys still, still not spoke? Well, you know, in today's game, I mean, players, it's hard to get in touch with players. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if, if Ray would reach out to me, I'd be glad to meet with him. I, I think vice versa. I've seen Ray a couple times when I worked with ESPN. And, you know, we exchanged pleasantries. We weren't, you know, we weren't unfriendly. Uh, I, the situation of talking out this situation, it's going to take a day, a half a day, or, you know, a, a day of golf and go out and drink some beers. Yeah. I mean, this is not something you're going to, you're going to talk out in five minutes. It just doesn't happen that way. And Ray and I, I've, I've always said Ray is one of the few players I wish I would have had more time with. Cause I think he, you know, I think he's just one of the more special talents that I've had in the NBA. So I feel like this is, and, and I've led it down this path. I feel like this has been a, a more negative, uh, line of questioning than I hope but this this season honestly the 2001 uh, with with Bucks fans certainly heartbreak at the end but a v- extremely memorable year and, and a lot of great moments I mean how do you in totality look back at that 2001 season uh, in Milwaukee because uh, it was remarkable and then those playoff crowds at the Bradley Center were insane that I've never seen anything still to this point like the standing ovations you were getting during that playoffs I mean how do you look back at that run it's one of my best. I mean, uh, that, that year was, I, I'll be honest with you, I think it's one of the best overachieving teams in NBA history. I mean, we, we were not that talented, but we had a lot of guys that understand who they were, and they had good years, and our stars came on and had special years. And, uh, you know, and as you said, beating Charlotte, that's a really good basketball team. And then, and then taking Philly to seven games. And I think, in, as you know, in game five, if Glenn makes that jump shot, we're playing in the finals. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just uh, – it's one of those great years in my life. And I'll be honest with you, when you go to the conference finals, when you go to the final four in the NBA, it's, it's like going to the final four in college. It's a celebration. Realize it doesn't happen very often. And we were very lucky to be a part of it. With all that, it's it's so funny when when I talk to Bucks fans and the feeling I get from that season, it's it's such a a polarizing year because I guess fans think about the success they had here and how popular you were in Milwaukee. I mean, I, I feel like at that stretch there was there was maybe not too many more popular figures in Wisconsin sports at the time, and, and then now you are tied to I guess the Ray Allen trade, and there's some people out there that blame you specifically for that. I mean, how does that sit with you? Because 
it, it you know, I think in, in a lot of respects, it, it was a positive time, particularly 2001. Well, you know, fans are fanatical. Uh, they're, they're, they're fanatically, when you're winning, they're fanatically behind you. And when you're losing, they're fanatically against you. And that's just part of the game. I mean, first thing Coach Smith told me when I went into coaching is understand that players win and coaches lose. Hmm. And so, you know, living with losing, even though it wasn't, you know, expectations is what we were failing at. Uh, but because if you thought our team was a, a talented team uh, that was going to stay on top of the mountain without some tinkering, I think you were wrong. But the problem was when we did tinker, hmm. we broke it up. We, we destroyed it. And, you know, you want to blame that on me? Is it my fault that I, I brought Anthony Mason in? Or was it our fault that we brought Anthony Mason in? Or was it Anthony Mason's fault that he was 35 pounds overweight? Was it Ray Allen's fault because he didn't try to be a good teammate? I, I don't I, – that's, that's, for, that's for the fans to figure out. You know, I wanted, to, I wanted to make the right move when we signed Anthony Mason, and it turned out to be one of the worst moves I've ever made. So the last one here, just with, with you, I, I know you've spoke, uh, this was around the time that your book came out. So we're going back a couple of years now. You sort of still did mention that you hoped or, or thought about maybe having one last chance in the NBA. Where are you at with yourself at the moment? I know it's such a strange time to be talking about uh, sports right now with nothing happening, but where do you think the, the future lies for you here in the, in the next couple of years with the game of basketball? I want to coach in Australia. <laughs> I heard this. I heard this. And uh, maybe that's why I asked you this. I wanted this to be the, uh, the exclusive. You know, Kane, I would be very, very happy with just mentoring and helping an organization win a championship. Uh, would I coach again? If I got a really good team and a really good opportunity to have fun playing, coaching basketball again, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to say no. My son's a coach. You know, I've always kind of dreamt. I've always had this dream that I'd like to be his assistant coach someday. And, and my, that dream would probably be in the NBA. But, you know, there's a lot of great basketball in this world. And it's finding a spot that's fun, that you can feel the joy of the game, work your ass off to be the best in the game, and hopefully get lucky to win a championship by, by, by playing together and loving the game and being a, being a great team to the game of basketball. I've heard you say that as time's gone on, you understand how difficult it is to win a championship and, and not many people get to do it. How long did it take you? And, and are you there now where you're at, uh, at peace in your own mind with the fact that you didn't get to an NBA championship or is that something that still, still burns you underneath when you talk about trying to still be involved in the game or is this just something you look back on and, and now it's just the love of the game that, that you want to you uh, stay involved? Well, I, I think what I knew, I knew about the game when I played was you need great players. And I look back at my career and the one thing I'll stand up for is I've only had one Hall of Fame basketball player on my roster. And I've loved the game. I've won a lot of games. I think my teams have played at a high level of excellence almost every year in my career. And we fail. You, every year you lose in the playoffs. And because of expectation or perception that you're supposed to win in the playoffs, I think I've lost in Denver here 
you know, we lost the championship. We lost the Lakers and Spurs who won the championship four of the eight years we lost. And I can't, you know, if, if you lose to the champions in the first round or the finals of the conference, it's the same thing. They're a great team. And, you know, you got to have great players. You got to have some great luck. And I had some great, I've had some really good players. I've had a lot of good luck. And I, I really look at my career as something that I, I really, I'm proud of. I, I can't tell you other than, you know, there are a lot of great coaches that have never won championships. All right, Georgia, we will leave it there. Uh, as I mentioned right off the top, I mean, one of the all-time greats coaching the game of basketball. Uh, as I also mentioned, make sure you do check out Truth and Basketball. It's, it's, it's a really fascinating listen, as much fun as I've had here talking with you. Uh, you're doing it with those guys on a regular basis, and uh, I, I can only imagine how many more stories there are to tell with that. But uh, like I said, you're a man that forever will be tied to the Milwaukee Bucks franchise and Bucks sports fans for that incredible team in 2001 and the run you had and how close you were. But I really appreciate you jumping on. This has been a lot of fun for me. This has been a real thrill. Appreciate it. Okay, thank you. I want you to know that we're probably going to do an episode, hopefully. We're going to do a podcast, hopefully, with Sam Cassell and maybe a couple other guys on the Milwaukee experience in the near future. There you go. There's a good tease. More 2001 talk with the 2001 East Conference Finals uh, against Philadelphia and some of the players involved there. George Carl, thanks again. And for everyone else, we will be back on Monday. So myself, Kane Pittman and George Carl will speak to you guys then.